Bonjour. I'm Terrence Galenter, your American friend in Paris, coming to you almost live and almost every week from Café Terrence in Paris's Troisième Arrondissement. This program is being sponsored by a generous contribution from the Billy Cohn Collection. My guest today is uh, Paul Bogarts, uh, deputy publisher of Alfred Knopf. Uh, and Paul, welcome to Paris. Uh, Terrence, I wish I could be there with you in person. Uh, I, I can't imagine what uh, this experience has been like for you. Um, I know it's been traumatic for me, indeed, for, for everyone, uh, but for those who are connected to, uh, to the travel industries, to the tourism industries, uh, you have my sympathies. Well, you know, and I've, I've been reading a lot in, in addition to watching, uh, well, I just actually just watched Fran Leibowitz and episode seven of this documentary with uh, Scorsese, she talks about books. I don't know if you've seen it, but if you haven't, it's definitely a, a wonderful little uh, look at our at that part of our business. Let me go back. I want to go before we talk a little bit about your career, because uh, you, I'm sorry. I was going to say on the Fran Leibowitz. Yeah. So, so we watched the first two episodes of uh, Martin's doc on Fran, mm -hmm. and um, it made me miss New York. That was the uh, the aggregate impact watching those first two episodes. Um, it really is a love letter to the city. No, it's it's wonderful. And the thing with Fran that's so in interesting is that, I mean, I. I feel like I'm looking in the mirror. If I were a gay woman, I would be Fran Leibowitz, I guess, because uh, having grown up in Brooklyn, we see the world through the same eyes. Uh, you know, she has a platform to say things that certainly I've been thinking about, which is not to make me to be a great thinker. But when you grow up in the city, as I did, and, and you love the city, uh, you see these faults and you see some of the insanity uh, that we're, we're living through. Uh, thank God we got rid of that one lunatic, so we have, at least we can, you know, we can sing the national anthem and not feel embarrassed anymore. But the uh, friend is great, and that's my only complaint with that is I I wish that uh, Martin wasn't such a sycophantic laugher, because it it kind of irritated me. I mean, she's very funny, but it, to me it's in in my head. But uh, I want to talk about your thirty plus year career at 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 Knopf and what attracted you to the. Uh, to the book business and why you gave up a career as being a thespian, although why you went to McGill, you'll have to explain to me. But let's go back to the very beginning. Um, in 1915, Alfred and Blanche Knopf, uh, the very first, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Jewish publisher in, uh, in America yeah, of serious and, and, shall we say, volume books. Yes. 1915, uh, Blanche and Alfred set up shop on... Um in, a, in, a, in an office on uh, East 42nd Street, a one-room one room office on East 42nd Street. And, uh, you know, their, their vision was uh, to publish quality books, uh, books of uh, enduring value, uh, welcoming uh, authors from uh, around uh, the world that... Um, has always been a uh, a mandate at uh, our our publishing imprint throughout its storied hundred plus year. Uh, yeah, for me, I mean, there, I think of your, you and I think of 
the early Scribner, uh, going back to Max Perkins, as two publishers that, for me, always continue to be, uh, I, well, certainly you, to be iconic and, and somewhat different. If one can say that a, uh, uh, an imprint can be a brand, uh, I would say that you certainly achieve that. But just to go back to Blanche in the very beginning, what was it, apart from their being Jewish, that was so different about their approach to publishing as it existed prior to them? Well, I think that they recognized um, that there was an audience and appetite um, for uh, writers that um, might not be immediately immediately might not have been immediately familiar to uh american readers um and that uh so i mean think about Camus and uh you know the footprint that uh you know he grew to occupy um and there were uh, so many other writers uh that um that they that they welcomed uh in in addition they they had a broad um palette in terms of what they would publish, and that's something that has remained true throughout our, our history. I mean, you know, Dash Hammett, you know, Ross um, McDonald, all of these authors um, that uh, have since uh, become iconic in the uh, American pantheon of letters. In a way, I wouldn't wouldn't you say that Blanche somewhat authorized the the crime novel, detective novel uh, as literature long before it was ever perceived as such? I think so. I think that both Blanche and Alfred, yes, absolutely, that uh, they made that that genre uh, respectable. And um, you know what's interesting is that uh, you know when Sonny uh, joined the company um, in the uh, late nineteen eighties, um, he was. Uh, you know, a logical heir to Blanche and Alfred and, and Gottlieb, again, because of his uh, um, wide-ranging taste. But more specifically, he was he was such a fan of, of good, you know, thrillers, crime fiction, mysteries. Um, that was something that was always in his uh, wheelhouse. And I think that, uh, you know, a lot of that had to do with... Um, his track when he was in the UK, you know, at, uh, at Pan Picador and, um, you know, publishing paperbacks. No, you, well, you mentioned Sonny Mehta and I had this conversation with John Siegel, who was uh, enormously uh, touched and, and harmed by uh, the tragic loss of Sonny. I remember I, we were in Deauville for, for New Year's Eve last year and it opened up the New York Times and, and I was in shock. I, I'd never personally met Sonny, although I'd waved at him in your offices on many occasions and very proud that he was a regular reader of my newsletter. So, uh, but let's talk about Sonny and, and how he extended and embraced uh, and uh, the brand, um, what he meant to Knopf, what he meant to the industry, and ultimately what he meant to you. Uh, particularly for the for the general public that may not be as uh, aware of Sonny as those of in the industry are. So, if you kind of talk about Sonny. I think Sonny has widely been acknowledged as one of the preeminent uh, publishers 
of the late 20th and early 21st century. Um, he had uh, uh, an incredible eye and could see in a manuscript the possibility that others, many others, uh, could, could not see. He had a great deal of respect and admiration for authors and editors and the collaborative process. He gave all of the editors at Knopf a great deal of latitude in what they acquire and more importantly, how they acquired books. In the latter part of the 20th century, I mean, in the late 1980s, 90s, uh, 2000s, uh, publishing became more corporate, um, out of need. And, you know, some have said, um, that's a, that's a bad thing. Uh, my view is that it was and is, uh, a necessary, um, a necessary component of, of our, our work now because um, we, need, we need the kind of support um, and infrastructure uh, to publish as successfully as we can. And I can go into that a little further detail um, mm -hmm. how, you know, being, you know, a bigger company and uh, our ability to achieve uh, operational efficiency during the during the pandemic, but but what I was alluding to is that Sunny Sunny gave us a lot of freedom. Well, a lot of companies have editorial committees, and they acquire books by committee. Sunny would let an editor come into his office and make an argument for a book, and it was often and editor's passion that resulted in our making an acquisition. Of course, there were folks that he leaned on for, for opinions. If the investment we were going to make in an author was going to require a significant sum of money, he would ask for backup reads. Um, I did a fair amount of backup reading for Sonny on, on big projects. Um, but what, what, what I loved about Sonny and, and what made working with him so interesting is that you, um, you never knew um, what he was going to uh, drop on your desk and, and ask you to read. And I can give you chapter and verse of, of books um, that had a profound impact on me personally, uh, that we wound up uh, publishing, and one of the great joys of working in, in book publishing is that you will come to a book clean. You will come to a book without any preconceived notions um, because it hasn't been published yet. I mean, you're, the, the, the canvas is white, and you start reading, and it takes you places. And I remember Sonny walking into my office one day, and 
he had a manuscript in his hands and he put it on my desk and he just said to me, this is uh, something new. And I said, Any, anything else you want to tell me? <laughs> he said, it's something new by Cormac, meaning Cormac McCarthy. McCarthy. That's what he said. And I went home that night and started reading The Road without any context. And it literally ripped my heart out. Um, it was one of the most you know, powerful experiences of my publishing career, reading that book, you know, cold. And, um, and it made it all the more exciting um, to publish the book, to bring that book to the wide audience that uh, it deserved. And I've, I've often thought of it, you know, these past 10 terrible months, God. you know, walking around in a world where the landscape often resembled the road. You know, so much, uh, you know, when you think of books, I mean, books that have influenced, uh, uh, that a book like that has that kind of a profound effect on you. One of the things that Leibowitz had said in this, it was a quote that as soon as you can read, you are incredibly rich. Uh, and those of us who were book lovers from a very early age uh, continue to have that, that, that wonderful experience, that, which I think has been very helpful in getting through this insanity. I mean, I recently, you mentioned Bob Gottlieb, uh, I reread or for the second time, uh, the complete works of, of Robert Caro, starting with The Power Broker and then going up through the uh, four, as it were, uh, volumes of Johnson. And I won't ask you the question everybody asks you, when will the next Johnson book be published? But that is a remarkable relationship. I remember watching a bit of a documentary where Gottlieb and Caro, uh, apparently uh, Caro was a little bit worried about the amount of time it was taking him to get a book into manuscript form, and uh, Gottlieb's comment was, uh, you write the books, uh, Lynn and I will worry about the money. And it struck me, my God, what a, uh, what a, what a, what a, what a way to operate a business, to uh, allow someone of that talent the, the freedom to just do the very, very best possible work he could and not, not try to compromise it. Okay, so I'm going to let you ask me that question about Carol. Go ahead. Okay. Well, you know, as uh, I, along with how many millions of others, are waiting for the volume five, the the White House years of Lyndon Johnson. When is it happening, Paul? I could tell you, but then I would have to kill you. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I mean, I, it gives me an excuse to live. And, you know, at, at at Gottlieb's age and Carol's age, I hope to hell they're in good health. I, I mean, I talk to Bob literally almost every other day. Um, and uh, so the context of the story that you just told us is, is important because, of course, um, uh, Sonny, just as he gave his editors uh, a great latitude in what they uh, could acquire, he gave writers and agents uh, a lot of latitude um, when projects weren't uh, coming along as quickly as some would like. In publishing, when you sign a contract, you have delivery dates. And in many instances, those delivery dates uh, are not met. And uh, Sonny's attitude was always, if it needs more time, 
we'll give it more time. There's a very famous book at Knopf that's been under contract for 28 years. It's not Caro, by the way. It's another author um, that we've been waiting uh, for the delivery of his, of his book. A uh, guy's name is Bradford Snell, and he's been working on a book on General Motors for three, three decades. <laughs> is there any, how old is Brad? <clears throat> how old is Bradford? I don't know off the top of my head, um, but uh, I think um, we'll see the book fairly soon in the context of the 30-year window. <laughs> well, you know, because one of the other things that Carol had said, and again, I can't remember if he said this in, in his book or, or some, something that I've seen, uh, but unlike the uh, butchering of William Manchester's third volume on, on Churchill, he said, if I were to die tomorrow... The book stops there. Uh, no one is going to play with his work uh, thereafter. Um, so it's, I wish them all great health. Just going to go back to Sonny for a second because I, what, I mean, obviously you've been there for over, I mean, I've known you for damn close to 30 years. I knew you when I was speaking Spanish. Right. Uh, we worked on a book with the, uh, that Judith had, had worked on with these two uh, Latino writers. But uh, what is the most significant things uh, or things that you've learned from Sonny that have informed your career? Always uh, come to, to books with, with an open mind. Um, you know, that, uh, you know, try and see um, the possibilities um, in every work. Uh, and the responsibility, the great responsibility that we as publishers have um, to authors in the publication of their books uh, to make sure that uh, we leave no stone unturned, um, that we always put our best foot forward um, in trying to uh, find a path to a readership. Um, uh, the other thing I learned from Sonny is just how um, much of a community our business is. Um, you know, people talk about Sonny and his legacy, but Sonny was always quick to acknowledge that um, the work that he did did not occur in a vacuum, that there were many, many others um, who laid hands on a project, on a book, in its path to publication. And every year at our holiday party, Sonny would acknowledge the team in aggregate and their contributions, sales, marketing, publicity, production, copy editing, jacket design, that community, all of those people, contracts, business ops, everyone has a role to play for a book to get to a reader. And then beyond, beyond the community of booksellers. Sonny had more friends in that community 
than any publisher in America. Yeah, he was a remarkable character, and um, he, he's missed. I mean, as I said, when I read, opened up the paper on January 1st, 2020, and, and saw that he was gone, I, it felt very personal, even though, we, as I said, we had not had any, any immediate contact. I, I mentioned the great Judith Jones, uh, who was gracious enough to appear at, with me at my New York, uh, Paris, New York Literary Festival, uh, God, over 10 years ago. Uh, who discovered Anna Frank and convinced Doubleday to buy it when nobody else wanted to, uh, edited everything that John Updike did, uh, but is probably most known for uh, Julia Child and, and all the work she did with cookbook authors. Talk a little bit about, about Judith, who was a spectacular character and a wonderful editor. Um, talk about the, the Judith Jones, please. Judith was... Um, her, uh, to me, as uh, in addition to my work uh, in publicity and marketing, uh, I always uh, had an interest in in cooking and cookbooks, and so I would always watch with interest and read with interest um, proposals that came to Judith and see her work, her magic. And um, one of the things that Judith felt very strongly about is that, uh, you know, cookbooks, they have to teach us things. Um, and they have to speak to us in a language, uh, a common language that we all understand. She wasn't a fan of chop, mix, stir. She wanted sentences, she wanted narrative, and she wanted story. Um, and she often found all those things, and in doing so, gave uh, American readers uh, the sweep, delivered the sweep of American culinary history. Um, when you think about some of the writers that she published, whether it was Edna Lewis, James Beard, and Venturing Afar, Julia Child, uh, Marcella Hazan. Um, she just had uh, an amazing uh, view of, of the world. And like Sonny, you know, um, she believed that uh, Americans would warm to uh, culinary works from beyond our shores. When, um, when she acquired Mastering the Art of French Cooking, you have to remember, uh, America at the time was tuna casserole and jello. And, you know, this is a book, Mastering, that talks about aspic and bipoignon. Uh, so. Isn't aspic jello? Weren't we eating jello? <laughs> <laughs> When you look at that chasm between where America was um, with regard to food and where Judith thought America could go, um, I mean, it takes a certain vision um, to encourage, to, to see that and to actually bring that idea across 
and and deliver it to an accepting American public and you know mastering the art of French cooking has become one of the most successful cookbooks of all time and and in and this calendar year twenty one uh, there will be many, many celebrations of, of Julia Child. And mm-hmm. that book, which is a backlist staple, which sells thousands of copies every year, a book that was published in the 60s, um, is going to have a, another uh, renaissance in the calendar year 2021. You know, living through what we, we are continue to live through, I would suspect that uh, backlisted titles are a huge part of uh, your ongoing marketing campaign. You have so much depth. Uh, I was just, uh, you know, I, coming back to Sunny, I, I, I watched the, uh, not the obituary, I guess the eulogies that were given. Uh, I, I remember if it was in London or, or in New York where uh, Elroy uh, just blew the house down uh, with, with his comments about Sonny. Did Sonny discover him? Sonny didn't discover him, but you know, Sonny, Sonny knew about Elroy and was always a great fan of James Elroy and um, wanted uh, to publish him at, at, at Knopf. Um, I think he'd been published by Otto Penzler at, at Mysterious Press. And um, Sonny um, was uh, friends with Nat Sobel and, and they started talking and arranged a meeting and uh, James and Sonny got along very, very well. Um, and it was a study in contrast. You had, uh, as you know, who is big, bombastic, big, literally, physically big, you know, and loud. Um, and Sonny. I've introduced him at a number, of, on a number of occasions, and I interviewed him for the film LA Confidential. Uh, he was a strange amalgam because he, at one level, he was just, he was a Midwestern kid with these outrageous sensibilities, and he would be outrageous and then be enormously gracious in a very um, mid midwestern kind of way to people around them once he was off stage. Sure, he he always has deep gratitude to the team of people who are responsible for publishing him. And uh, but um, he loved he loved Sonny. I mean, he he loved Sonny. A lot of writers, you know, uh, loved loved Sonny. And uh, you know, it's it, it, it's funny. I mean, I, I knew Sonny professionally. I also knew him personally. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess, you know, my fine, my fondest memories of Sonny, you know, have, have really nothing to do with work and really just, um, you know, how he, he treated me and, 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 and some other folks, uh, that, um, were close to him. Uh, when my father came to visit me in the office, uh, when he was alive, um, Sonny would always invite him in uh, to his office for a drink. And um, is there is there any other reason to go to Sonny's office? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, my dad my dad was retired. He was a reader. Um, he too loved crime fiction. So um, they 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 talked about about books, but it was just, you know, it, it was incredibly, you know, meaningful to me that, that Sonny would, would pull him in and sit him down and, uh, have conversations with him. And, uh, you know, Sonny, he was one of the few people who could, um, look at me and know something was wrong. 
um, he he read me like a book. Um, I think he read you like a father. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. And uh, I have nothing but great memories of him. I mean, I, you know, in the last year of his life, I mean, his frailty was a concern. Um, but I'm always going to remember the uh, the vibrant um, man and 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 figure uh, that he was and the great work uh, that he did. Um, I think that's how everyone um, will remember him. And I'm just happy that, you know, he was able to, um, you know, find a successor, identify a successor um, uh, before, his, uh, before his death. Well, I think all of you at some level carry a little bit of Sonny around with you, and it's reflected in the way that you you work and the way that you treat people. I know uh, from my perspective, when I had no experience in this part of our business whatsoever, uh, you were always very gracious to me. And I'm working with people like Kathy Zuckerman over 20 some odd years, uh, people come to work for you and stay there. Uh, they stay at Knopf. And so for those of us who are involved in uh, making some part of a living out of promoting and being involved in, in books, it's, it's great to work with professional people who tell you something, uh, deliver on their promise, and uh, you know keep you uh, keep you in the loop. And I think a lot of that just comes from that what goes on in in that culture. As I said, I've always been a big a big fan of what uh, Knopf has represented. I want to just jump forward a little bit and back a little bit to this past year. Uh, how did you, uh, on a personal and a professional level, confront the challenges when you had to reinvent the way that you do business? Great question. We were sent home, I think, on Friday, March 13th, uh, if I remember. Appropriately, yeah. yeah. And everything that we have been doing for the past 30 years had to change overnight. We couldn't send authors out on the road. Um, the manufacturing and distribution of books became challenging. We had to quickly learn new skill sets, develop an ability to host and produce virtual events. And I talked earlier about how publishing companies have grown and how some people, you know, see that as a bad thing, but, you know, at Penguin Random House, our growth, okay, has allowed us to develop capabilities that helped us get through the pandemic. And a specific example is our supply chain. The operational efficiency of our supply chain during a moment of extraordinary stress, we were for the most part, um, able to continue shipping books to most of our customers. Um, and 
you know, this is at a moment when, when literally the world was shutting down. And we did it in such a way, okay, where we prioritized the safety of our employees. And what that meant was, you know, operationally, Terrence, that our warehouse, which historically had been a service organization for the publishers and the booksellers, was really just for booksellers. And what I mean by that, their fulfillment was strictly to retailers. We couldn't be shipping books out to colleagues in the media. So what we had to do was go to an all digital protocol overnight. Uh, everything that we had once done with physical galleys, with finished books, was now going to be done digitally using tools like NetGalley, delivering PDFs and you know watermark PDFs and JPEGs to people. Uh, so, um, I mean, one of the interesting things about uh, this business, my job, three decades in, is that it has changed. I mean, the business I walked into at Knopf in 1989 is a very different business in 2021. Well, there was a Crown Books. Uh, there was no Amazon, uh, no Kindle. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that, that's one thing. And then the other thing is just, you know, we're, we're data driven, a data driven company now. And, you know, through the aggregation of data, we are able to, um, you know, publish, uh, to audience audiences with, with, with some, some accuracy. I mean, we, you know, we capture data on, you know, Who's reading our ads? Um, you know, are they driving sales and engagement? Same thing with PR. We have all kinds of tools uh, at, at Penguin Random House. Um, Penguin Random House, Simon and Schuster? Well, that is um, absolutely on, on, on the horizon in, in, in 2021. I know that is being, you know, worked on uh, diligently. Uh, by um, our corporate teams, and um, we have a template. You successfully integrated Penguin, which is a, I suspect, a, a massive operational challenge. Absolutely, and uh, I, I always, you know, and people in 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 the media always focus on the front-facing aspects of our business. They they focus on the authors, rightly so, um, and the editors and the publishers. Um, but in 2021, um, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't be in business um, without um, you know all of the people who uh, were working in manufacturing, in production, in shipping, in warehousing. All, all of those those are those are the true heroes of of 2021. Just in the same way that you know the frontline workers were the heroes, um, the people who were working grocery stores, the people who were actually keeping us. Um, alive and, and tethered, um, you know, to the world. Almost sounds like you're writing a speech for President Biden. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. We can catch our breath a little bit. I want to, uh, where are we going? Where do you, apart from the fact that I may, living in Europe, may never see a bound galley from you ever again and may be forced to buy a Kindle. Outside of that challenge for me, uh, what do you see in 2021, 2022? Uh, it would seem to me with the economies that are being uh, achieved through digitalization, 
that the uh, the galley may be a, a thing of the past. Well, I don't think it's a thing of the past in its entirety. Um, I certainly um, believe. Well, for European inhabitants like myself, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there will still be uh, uh, physical galleys, but but the truth is, um, we, you know, we, we can we can publish, we can promote, we can market um, using uh, digital digital tools, and um, you know, there's an argument to be made that um, it's good it's good for the ecology of the planet, um, mm -hmm. you know, the use of, uh, less paper. Um, but they're not going to go away. They're not going to go away. In fact, in the calendar year 2020, we had, um, one of our most robust years of physical sales. Um, People were buying hardcover books. People were buying trade paperback books. Um, so there was a buoyancy to the market. And, you know, looking immediately, you know, at the calendar year 2021 and, and beyond, uh, based on what happened in 2020, I mean, to work in this business, one must be an optimist. There is no room for pessimism in publishing. Um, uh, every, every book that you acquire and publish article of faith, you believe in it, you believe in the author, you believe you're going to find a readership for that book. And, uh, you know, I certainly feel confident uh, about uh, our year, the year ahead, and how can one not feel confident when you're, when you're publishing books by, you know, a new novel by Ethan Hawke, uh, A Bright Ray of Darkness, which is terrific. A new novel by Kazuo Ishiguro, Ishiguro. Flower and the Sun. Is for, have you read that? I have. It's absolutely uh, extraordinary. Um, his first novel since winning the Nobel Prize in 2017. Um, a I remember reading uh, Remains of the Day, uh, before, obviously before the movie, when it first came out. And I don't read a lot of fiction, but that was a book that I, I reread and uh, it just stayed with me. It was so so profoundly done, and I, I'm guessing that that was a book that Sonny was aware of. Um, it was one of the first books that uh, I actually worked on when I came to mm -hmm. one of the first books that uh, I. Um, yeah, and so Sonny Sonny Newish um, from the UK. Uh, he was a fan of A Pale View of the World and. An, uh, or a pale view of the hills, an artist in the floating world, um, and uh, so you know, Sonny had his sights on a number of writers before he came to Ganoff, and he was, you know, able to lure them here. And um, yeah, I remember, I remember that publication so well. Again, it was another one of those books that Sonny, you know, and we were, and we were just getting to know each other then. He says, "Hey, you know, I, th I think there's something special here," and um, indeed, indeed, there was. Essentially, it's a 250-page internal monologue, yeah. uh, and I, I thought they did a good job with, with the film. I think that the uh, the relationship between Hopkins and Thompson was beautifully uh, displayed, and of course, Merchant and Ivory uh, had a wonderful sense of taste. I want to finish by asking, uh, what what's coming up this year? You, know, you, you, you can answer the question without killing me as to when uh, Elroy's next book is coming out. Uh, we have a new book uh, by James Elroy, Widespread Panic. Okay, um, which is going to be uh, 
published in 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 June, um, and uh, uh, some of your listeners might um, remember a guy, Freddie Otash, you know, um, you know, from forties uh, and fifties in Hollywood, and uh, so he's a he's a figure in in widespread uh, in widespread panic. So we have a. Uh, I knew Elroy. I'm looking forward to that because I've read everything he's done, and as yeah. I say, I've met him on numerous occasions. What else is, uh, are you excited about? Uh, we, really, I mean, you're we really excited about. Yeah, I'm really excited about Maggie Shipstead's novel, Great Circle. It's funny, you know, she's written um, two other two other novels, uh, which which I loved, but uh, you know, this is a career making work. Um, it is absolutely um, astonishing. It, it, uh, she writes um, uh, with a, a rich grasp of history um, and uh, depicts scene with, uh, uh, you know, a painter's eye. Um, and uh, it's about, um, you know, a woman uh, at the turn of the century who aspires. Uh, Which century, Paul? Uh, early in the uh, 1900s, and she aspires to be a pilot. And um, the book has, it's set in the past and present. And there's uh, another female character um, who is portraying her in the present day in a film. And so between these two goalposts, you have a hundred years of history and relationships um, you go from Montana to, you know, wartime London, um, mm. New York City, uh, and it's just remarkable. What's the pub date on that title? The pub date is May 4th. Yeah. We'll look forward to that. Yeah. Paul, it's, it's been great. This has been, been fun to catch up after some, a, a long period of time, and uh, I know this will be very informative and very entertaining. Uh, for uh, for my listeners. So I want to thank you again, Paul Bogarts. Don't go away. When I hang up, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Yeah, thank you. Thank, thank you for being here. Yes, Godspeed to you. Godspeed to your listeners. And let's hope that, um, you know, for uh, better things as the year progresses, all of us.